Thanks for joining us once again on the Women in Security podcast. For those of you who are not familiar, my name is Lee Van Tan, and I'm a security recruiter with Morgan McKinley. And in each episode, I bring on board a different female speaker who works in the industry, and we explore different topics um, that could be work-related, that could be an advice about life, and we would also touch on the different areas, different functions within information security. So hopefully through each episode, you take away something new and I hope you find it useful. And if you would like to receive regular updates on the podcast, you can find us on Twitter, on LinkedIn, as well as any of the platforms that you listen to your podcast. Um, For regular updates, make sure to subscribe and I will talk to you the next time. Bye. Today we have in the studio with us Laura Fitzgerald from Forcepoint. Laura, welcome. Thanks, Liffin. How are you? Can you give us a little bit of insight into who you are? No problem. So my name is Laura Fitzgerald. Um, I am Principal Counsel in Forcepoint, having joined in 2018. I previously was with a private equity company in Dublin and before that financial services. So I have been um, a lawyer for the last 10 years, um, have been working in both financial and private equity industry and now having moved across to tech. I am working on a small team. I have full responsibility for EMEA and for the Centres of Excellence globally in Forcepoint, having taken over that responsibility in early 2019. What was the attraction there to move from financial services into the tech sector? was a new opportunity. When the company approached me, I knew very little about cybersecurity, but it was a huge area and a growing area and tech really is the place to be. So I looked at it and while I didn't know anything about cybersecurity, I had a lot of transferable skills. And when I met with the GC in the United States, we had a conversation and he said, well, are you willing to learn? And I said, absolutely. And what I found is that your skill set, no matter where you are as a lawyer, is has a foundation that allows you to transfer to whatever industry you want. So there's almost nothing to be afraid of. No matter where you go, a contract is a contract is a contract. Mm-hmm. And the basic principles will always be the same. And it's a matter of tailoring it to whatever industry you're in. And from my perspective, as the primary counsel for EMEA, my day is extremely varied. It will be everything from opening up a new office to expand our global footprint to dealing with a reputational issue or employees being poached by a competitor or through to um, actually just dealing with very large contracts and sales that we would be negotiating on a day-to-day basis. So from our perspective, a lot of our work is about almost training up our sales teams and our various different other departments to make themselves more efficient so that legal are not a touch point so that they're actually enabled to be able to do their day job to allow us to deal with the wider issues for the business uh, Mm -hmm. that arise. So it's very much about enabling the business to continue doing what they do best. Yes. And if you've done a good job, they don't even know that you're around. Does that make sense? That's exactly it. For us, it is critical to be able to have a scalable model. Like we have a very small team, a perfectly formed team, mm-hmm. and we are 16 lawyers dealing with three and a half thousand employees globally. So no matter what the issue that comes across your desk, what the challenge the business sends you, you just need to figure it out and deal with it. And it's a matter of just getting stuck in. And from my perspective, nothing is insurmountable. And 
you can really just take a look at the problem, assess whether or not it's actually a problem and figure out how you address it. But that'll go for the same in any industry. And that's what allowed me to be able to move from private equity across to um, tech. And it allows, I suppose, lawyers to be more mobile in the various different industries once they're willing to actually take the leap of faith. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what it is. But we have a great organisation and we have a great team and our team are very solid. We have strong lawyers and they each have a space in which they work and mine happens to be EMEA. So from that perspective, we work very closely together and we work very closely with all of our departments and stakeholders and it allows us to actually deal with challenges, risks and hopefully to address them before they ever actually arise. Do you think there's a misconception in the market or from the legal community that you have to know and have been in the industry to be able to make the jump? Because, you know, for example, you had that question when you were moving to Force Point where they ask, you know, would you be willing to learn? And that's a great question because often we find that clients or people have the idea that, oh, you know, if you've never been in the tech industry, you don't know anything about it. But the truth is, like you said, it's all about looking at what you can bring that's transferable and then there are things that you can learn. Absolutely. And one of the advantages of being in an in-house counsel role is you get the ability to use your commercial acumen in addition to being able to, I suppose, communicate complex legal issues in simple English, which will then allow your sales or your marketing or your engineering team to take that forward to be able to incorporate it into their day-to-day lives. A lawyer is very well trained and they have a good foundation and a good grounding and irrespective of what area they're in, the fundamentals are there and they're capable of being utilised no matter what area you're in. And in a lot of cases, it's about self-awareness and emotional intelligence and actually being able to deal with somebody, no matter who they are, across the table. But that goes in day-to-day life as well. Nobody is more important than anybody else and everybody's entitled to an opinion and everybody's entitled to be listened to and and to be heard. And that's what's important about being an in-house lawyer, because while you deal with the challenges, you have to hear the other perspectives and the other opinions around the table because they could be critical nuggets of information that'll allow you to unlock your strategy. Did you always want to be a lawyer growing up? John Grisham has a lot to answer for. I certainly <laughs> did. Um, I did. Um, I, I think I saw myself as uh, saving one person at a time on, on the human rights platform, but mm. I'm now in a commercial organisation. But I did. I always wanted to be a lawyer. Well, Forcepoint, as I know it, is a human-centric security firm, right? So you're not too far from that regard, I suppose. Earlier, you shared with us a little bit more about the role of legal counsel. And I suppose everyone knows, in general, what a lawyer does. But what are some of the lesser known aspects of the role? So for me, it's about being nimble. So it's whatever they need addressed, you figure out. You may not have come across it before, but you will just pick it up. You will piece it together like a jigsaw and you will come out the other side and either say yes or no, stop or go. I suppose from a practical perspective, our function is an integral part of the business. So whether it is a case that we are opening up a new footprint somewhere in the globe, we look at the regulatory environment, we look at what needs to happen. And sometimes you actually have to question whether or not it is the right decision. So fortunately, we have a seat at the table um, as a function and we are able to input at that level as to whether or not the organisation might be making the right decision. But thankfully, our company is open to critical thinking and it fosters a culture of understanding and 
curiosity almost. Um, and simply the reason for that is they don't mind if you ask why. When you joined Force Point, they were happy for you to bring in the disruptive questions and the why do we do it like that? And I suppose lifting up the bonnet and trying to understand why things have happened like that over the course of the last uh, number of years. Mm -hmm. And that's allowed for us to evolve. But the good thing about the company and one of the reasons why I was quite open to, to joining it when I had the conversation with the team was because they are open to active inquiry and it's very important to ask sometimes the mm. what could be perceived as a dumb or clarifying mm. question of why do we do that because when you get very comfortable and you continuously do something in a particular way it's not necessarily the right way and it could be very easily the right way but it could also be something that could be improved or something that could be enhanced and you uncover superficial reasoning and you allow yourself and the company allows itself to evolve and to innovate and it's quite a dy dynamic and fast moving company and that has fortunately really really helped both me to develop my critical thinking but also the company to evolve as an organization mm -hmm. quite quickly especially in the cyber market which is ever evolving yeah. and always under threat by all accounts and do you think that that's probably one of the noticeable changes when you've switched from financial sector to the tech industry where people in this industry are more curious that you're always thinking about what's next or what's new and what else can we do Yes, that is definitely a big change. And you see, they're very different types of people in both uh, industry. People are very engaged in how do we improve and how do we enhance and how do we pivot into a different space or how do we become a groundbreaking inventor of a new type of, I suppose, cybersecurity product. And from Forcepoint's perspective, like cybersecurity, they have a very niche offering and it's focused on the person and the historical traditional methods of cybersecurity, while it is still useful, it isn't necessarily effective. And for example, since 2016, there's been a trillion dollars spent on cybersecurity, wow. but there's been 95% success rate for the hackers and not for the actual businesses. And it is a huge risk for companies. It can hit their corporate reputation. It can hit their pocket. It, it fines are huge. And from a legal perspective, we're trying to figure out how we can, we can do better. And it, it is great to be able to proactively support support their delivery and their strategic plans and to be able to be a useful part in the company's journey. I'm curious about your time before moving into the technology sector. So if you're in the tech industry, if you work for a technology company today, there's a huge focus on cybersecurity. Was there a focus on security or was there even a mention about security in the private equity industry? So it's always on the radar, but not to the extent that it mm. currently is. Mm -hmm. So privacy would have been key. Uh, okay. Privacy will always have been key. And privacy has always been there. Yeah. And it's not a case that there's been a huge change in the legislation when the GDPR came in. It previously existed. The only difference was the fines and the accountability provisions mm. that were, were included which, and I suppose the media attention that it got, but we would have worked very closely in both the private equity company and previously in financial services on 
our privacy models and how we interacted with customers with respect to that because it is a critical part of of every business really. Mm -hmm. So previously in the private equity company that I worked, we would have been aware, but it would not have been something that would have been, I suppose, discussed on a day-to-day basis. It it is a very different uh, type of discussion. It was more around mergers and acquisitions and around IPOs and Mm -hmm. litigation. And and again, it was a different type of business model and Mm -hmm. your skill set just evolves to deal with whatever type of company you're you're dealing with at that point in time from a legal perspective. And from a personal perspective, now that you're involved in the industry, now that you've got so much more exposure to cybersecurity, have you noticed yourself doing things differently or becoming a lot more aware about the nuances of security in your day-to-day life? Yes, absolutely. And while I don't know all the lingo and I'm not necessarily uh, the best at doing Mm -hmm. it, I'm very much aware you have to be just so very careful. And the data that you provide to a shop when you hand your email address across the counter, it might seem innocuous, but actually that becomes a critical piece of data for that company and they should equally be securing it the same as your bank account details. While they might feel like different types of data and you might be personally more attached to your bank account number Mm -hmm. than you would your email address. They all form part of your identity and the different categories of data are equally as important one way or another because they are very valuable to companies and they're very valuable to businesses. So my awareness is certainly heightened. As I said, it is a case of whatever company you go into, there are different um, demands and there are different requirements and different challenges and you just adapt and as you adapt you deliver and as you deliver you you evolve and uh, for me one of the most important things that I've done since I have joined Forcepoint in addition to learning the the cybersecurity world is the charity initiatives that we've been able to roll out globally coding for schools programs that we're working in Cork and Dublin to roll out and uh, really small things that we can do on a personal level to help others and um, it's important that we as a business and as an organization help other people. How did this idea of a charity within the organization start? Was it there before you joined? So when I joined there were a few ad hoc initiatives that would happen on a very localized small basis and it's it's still at early stages but we've had volunteer days, we've had blood transfusion runs, we've had um, raffles that have, have fundraised and we've had huge engagement from employees uh, both in Cork and in Dublin and really it's done a lot of good both for the mental health in the organisation of people on a day-to-day basis giving back but in addition to that we've raised quite a bit of money for Barrettstown who are our charity partner at Force Point. They're actually very generous they give two and a half days a year to allow us to do that which has been hugely useful in, in furthering this. You brought up a really good point there. When we talk about charity Yes, it's a lot about giving back to the community, to the society, but also at large, it's about people coming together outside of work, not drinking, but just doing some good fun, not intoxicated, but again, just spending time and fostering a different kind of relationship, different kind of friendship there. And that translates back to how you collaborate at work. with people that you may not have the opportunity to talk to on a regular day because everyone's just you know getting stuck in at work i think we've all been guilty of just coming in being swamped with a thousand things to do 
And even if you're in the same office, you don't have time to have a chat or even to, again, foster that relationship. So things like charity drives, they do so many things, not just for the community, but for the business as well. When we met for coffee the last time, we were talking about networking and you gave really good tips on networking because people who know me and I've said this before, I don't think I'm a great networker, even though I'm in an industry where technically I'm supposed to be really good. So as a general advice to anyone who's listening to this, they could be experienced networker, they could be people who are new to networking events. What are some of the useful tips that you bring with yourself to every event that you go to? So personally, I feel networking is critical and I think it's very important on a human level to open your mind, to open yourself to opportunities, to have conversations, sometimes difficult conversations uh, with people. And But you need to be yourself and you need to just be open, open to diversity of thought and different perspectives. And for me, it is a case that I love meeting people. I love engaging with people. I find conversation and interacting with people extremely valuable to both my own self-awareness, my own learning and hugely important. So when we met and you mentioned that you weren't a big fan of networking, you'd spent uh, 45 minutes having a chat with me. You were engaging, you were a very good company and you had a lot to discuss and to offer and it's literally you in a normal day-to-day conversation is the same as you should bring for a networking event and there's no reason to fear it and and there's no reason not to do it and you need to take yourself out of your comfort zone and reach out and say would you like a coffee such and such a person has recommended that we connect and you open yourself up to a new world and huge opportunities even just within a small country like Ireland so when I recently was part of a program in UCLA and a huge focus was given on networking and the strength of networking and how women don't efficiently use their networking skill or their network to properly develop themselves. Whereas, and to an extent this goes into to the gender conversation and topic, which is men are very good at doing it. So it is important that whether you're male or female, that you do step out of your comfort zone and you do have those conversations and you do invite people to have the conversation because people are delighted to accept and everybody likes to drink coffee. So mm-hmm. there's nothing to stop you. Yeah. And if you're in, let's say, a networking event, For me, one-to-one, I think I'm pretty all right with that. But it's the idea of going into a room filled with tons of people to have that first connection, right? Because I think in today's world where we're so digitally connected that in-person people become disconnected, if that kind of makes sense. What are some useful tips that you would give have a few pre-prepared questions mm-hmm. in the back of your mind. The same questions for every single person, if needs be. Um, it just means that it'll fluidly come off your tongue and you will, once you engage in a conversation and somebody replies to you, the conversation will evolve and that'll allow you to relax into the situation and then you will relax into the room and relax into the event. So there's no reason not to have two or three questions prepared. They do not need to be work-related. It can be as simple as, do you have any nice plans for the weekend? Because that will disarm somebody Mm -hmm. and it will bring in a relatable um, discussion because everybody's doing something for the weekend. It might be interesting, it may not be interesting, but they're still doing something. So it'll allow you to uh, open up a discussion. And sometimes, you know, and this is coming from my personal experience, I wonder if there's a lot of cultural aspect to that like Irish people are really good with starting conversations anyway 
on my day-to-day life, even if I'm getting into a taxi or I'm at coffee shop, people are always just really friendly. They're always starting small little conversations just to get to know you. Even if it's just part of what they do because of their job or whatever, they make you feel like they care about you. And that's something that, I hope I'm not offending the Asians here, but it's very different in our culture, or at least in Singapore where I grew up. You would be in the elevator with people working in the same building that you see every day, and you might never say hi. It's just you stand there in silence. It's not really a a culture where you would naturally reach out to people to say, hey, how was your weekend? Have you any nice plans? Maybe there's another aspect of it which comes down to force of habit. But yeah, really great tips there that I will take on board myself as well (laughs) moving forward. You brought on a point there with UCLA. Tell us about that, because I know there was a scholarship somewhere in there that I would like to hear more about. Um, So yes, I was very fortunate to be awarded a global scholarship in 2019 called the World 50. So there were 50 women across um, the world who were selected and by UCLA Anderson, and they were brought to the States, to UCLA, to complete an executive education master's program on uh, the future leaders of organisations and boards. It was uh, an intensive training on strategic thinking, management, women in small numbers, uh, financial acumen, and I suppose how you take yourself forward in those type of roles. Uh, it was it was an incredible experience uh, with incredible women, and I was very very fortunate to be selected. The program itself was very intense. It was full on. Started at six o'clock, seven o'clock in the morning, ran till seven, followed by networking every evening. It was wow. nightmare, and uh, but it was magic. And the they were doctors and CFOs and CEOs and lawyers and a myriad of different people who were dentists as having high performance potential and I'm very honoured to have been selected for it Uh, but we all walked in with imposter syndrome and everyone in the room was was unsure as to why they were there but after a few hours we all realised that there was no difference between anyone in the room we all had a desire to do something for the better um, that we wanted to lead by example and they they gave us just the robust honing our skill sets and they sent us out into the world to to go and uh, take our learnings and take it forward. It was an amazing experience and I was extremely fortunate. Every time I hear imposter syndrome, you're just thinking, everyone always thinks it only happens to people who are starting a career or it will never happen to people at the sea level. But it's not true. Time and time again, we hear that people across all levels feel that. It's something that I personally take comfort knowing just because I'm like, okay, whenever I feel that I know I'm doing okay because everyone else out there thinks the same. So we've touched on a lot of advice related to work, related to networking. It's not often I have a legal counsel in the room, so I'm going to make full use of this time. So what would be an advice that you would give as legal counsel in general? What would be important from my perspective is every now and again just to take stock. When you're dealing with day-to-day challenges, look at the gaps, take considered risks and create your own narrative uh, rather than somebody else creating it for you. Like Realistically speaking, good risk management is critical. Like There's a complex regulatory landscape. There is a global landscape. Everybody is capable of communicating. You could be a two-person company and you can now reach millions of people over the internet. You 
need to be security aware. You need to be aware of your governance and, and your risk strategies. And you just need to be sensible in your approach. You don't need to be a technical expert on anything. You just need to be practical in your day-to-day approach to how you deal with any legal compliance or security risk. And it is manageable, but you just need to actually be proactive. What you just said there, really, it's relatable to any industry, any function, right? Like you said, from the very beginning, a lot of it is, again, looking internally at what you're good at. How can you bring that to any role that you're taking on, be it at work or in life? And there's so many great advice that we've had today, I'm walking away with. So thank you so much for your time, Laura. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure.